take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you're at home, you can do that. If you're here in person, we're going to take a look at the text that was just been read. And uh, before we get into the text, I just want to let you know that we're going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians till the... till the end of January uh, 2027. No, 2021. That's not going to be that long. And I just want to give you just a, a little bit of a background of why, why Ephesians? Why do we choose Ephesians? Well, I mean, over the summer, I spent some time praying about this. I actually asked the elders. I actually asked a couple of people in the congregation, some other church leaders to weigh in on, on, on what would be most helpful to to us as a body of believers. And the book of Ephesians came up more than any other book. And I think why this is so strategic, um, that this book we're going to look at, is that the book of Ephesians details who we are in Christ. It, it, it helps us understand personally, because of Jesus Christ, we have become new people, different people. We have a completely new personal identity, and we also have a completely new corporate identity as the body of Christ. And I think given the challenges that we're facing as a nation, difficult election, uh, the, the race issues that continue to, to uh, be, be part of, of the American experience, uh, COVID-19, uh, making a significant transition of leadership over the summer. I think it is vitally important for all of us to individually understand who we are in Christ, to make sure that our identity is functionally wrapped up in who God has already made us to be. And that's Ephesians 1 through 3. That's what we're going to look at. Week after week after week, a new piece of that identity will be unfolded for us. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, which we'll get to later in the fall, is going to then say, now that you understand more, more clearly who you are in Christ, now be who you already are. Live out your gospel identity individually and, and collectively. And live out that gospel identity in profound ways in every area of your life, your family, your work life, spiritual warfare, and your marriage, and your family. So I think it's very, very vital that we look at these important issues that Ephesians is going to bring to bear for us. Back in 1989, I moved to uh, Princeton from, I was living in Texas at the time, and I, I must tell you, my first four or five experiences at the Department of Motor Vehicles was not good. I guess, I don't know, I was in Texas, right? And we, it was like the Wild West out there, right? You know, inspection was, do you have three of the four tires? Good, you're good to go, you know. New Jersey was just, it just this massively strict thing. And the other thing that tripped me up was the six point identification points that you had to bring to verify you were who you were. And I made multiple trips. My car had a wonderful sticker that said failed on it, I think, for a while. It was not a great experience. This morning, we don't have six points of identification necessarily for verification, but what this first six verses in Ephesians is going to do for us is we're going to see three pieces of our new identity in Christ. Three uh, realities of, of this new identity 
that Jesus Christ has accomplished in us, and these things are true of us. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, this is who we really are. We need to take a look at that, those three pieces of our new identity, and then I want to give us some opportunities to respond to that um, and some ideas on how to apply that. Just briefly, before we get to the first piece of identity, I just want to look at the introduction real quick. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints are in Ephesus. He calls the believers saints, not because they are better than anyone else, not because they're particularly holy in actuality. He calls them saints because they have trusted Jesus Christ as their savior. And therefore, God has declared them to be set apart uh, uh, to God by virtue of what God has done, not necessarily their, uh, their living out necessarily consistently that. And he calls them the faithful or in Christ Jesus. Again, I think that might be more referring to the fact that they have faith and confidence in Christ alone to save them from their sin. Paul reminds them, he says, grace to you and peace. He reminds them that God has given you grace. And because God's given you the gift of eternal life, you are now at peace with God. And then in verse three, he begins to unpack, which we'll unpack for several weeks, a series of realities, a series of, of identities that mark out for us who we really are in Christ. These are the things that we need to get a handle on. Let's look at the first piece of identity, the first piece of the new identity we have in Christ in verse three. Paul writes, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This first piece of our new identity is this. We have in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is what is now true of us. Paul is going to flesh this out, but I think it's good to start with this summary statement. Paul is saying that God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ. In other words, because of Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What Paul is talking about here is that we have every spiritual blessing that we need and we have already been given it if we are believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, these are blessings. These are uh, an identity that we already have because of Christ. We don't earn this. We don't perform for it. We don't deserve this new identity. It's been given to us by God the Father who has in Christ given us these blessings. Notice that it says we have every spiritual blessing, everything that we need to function in this world, in this broken world, we have already. And that's very important to realize that. The issue for believers is not so much, oh, I need to attain something else to help me along in my Christian life. Part of the biggest problem that each of us have is we don't really know what we already possess. And because we don't know what we already possess, we have a hard time living out who we already are. Because somehow we think we have to attain something or earn something or perform for something. Now, these blessings, we're told, are in Christ. Everything that we have in these blessings that he's going to outline for us have come to us through Jesus Christ. It is precisely because Jesus Christ died and rose again that he is able to rescue us out of our old identity as simply sinners who are trapped in our own sin to bring us into this new sphere, this new identity, and all of it is accomplished because of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. 
Now, the other thing we need to notice here, it says we, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, some of you probably say, well, that figures because my earthly life doesn't seem to be going too well. Of course, of course. No, it's not simply talking about what we will have in heaven, although we will have the full experience of this new identity in heaven. He's talking about the fact that the blessings in Christ that we have been given by grace are, are, are sort of centered in the heavenly places. Take a look at verse six of chapter two. He says, and he raised us up with him. Again, this is talking again about our new identity and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When Jesus Christ died and was resurrected on the third day, he ascended into heaven. And in heaven now, Jesus is at the right hand of the father, sitting on the throne at the right hand of the father where he is exercising his power and his plan, his sovereign plan over the entire universe. And because he sits in that seat of power and authority, that is where through the ascended and glorified resurrected Christ that we now have these these spiritual blessings that, that, that should form this new identity. It comes from the very power of Christ who is in power now, seated at the right hand of God. And that is where these new uh, resources, these new identities, so to speak, these blessings that are ours through faith in Jesus Christ come from. Now notice what he doesn't say about the fact that we have in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He doesn't say that God is going to give you all of the material things that you would like in this earth. He also doesn't say God is going to make sure that every trial that you're facing, he's going to resolve it exactly the way you want it to get resolved. He's not saying he's going to deal with the circumstances that you are experiencing that are very difficult. And he's going to take that away. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I've given you every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. And I think this is part of the rub for us because we don't have a clear idea that every spiritual blessing because of Christ has been already given to us that forms the basis of this new identity that we have individually and corporately because we don't understand that this comes from the power of Christ and it's the spiritual blessings. We sometimes get confused when God doesn't deal with our trials when God doesn't deal with our circumstances, when God doesn't deal with the other things that we want him to do. And because we don't have a clear understanding of all of the massive riches of his grace that he's poured out on us, we look at the unanswered prayers that we have. We don't keep a clear eye on the every spiritual blessing we have. And we begin to think that God's abandoned us or God's not that doesn't care about us anymore. We make the wrong comparison. I think if we're honest with ourselves is that sometimes instead of blessing the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Christ, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, instead of centering our thoughts about who we now are because of these incredible blessings, we sometimes look to God as sort of our personal ATM machine, right? I need this, God, give it to me. I've got a circumstance over there that you need to deal with, fix that. 
I've got some problems at work. You need to resolve those things. I, I've, I've got some financial problems. I've got, I've got an issue with one of my children. I've got an issue in my family. And when God doesn't answer those repress, requests, we forget about all of the amazing spiritual blessings given to us because Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father and in power has done this to us. We forget who we really are. And then in, in forgetting who we really are in Christ, we distort who God really is. And instead of being this God who lavishes with all the blessings, and we're going to get to the specifics of these, because God hasn't dealt with this trial and that trial and that circumstance and that issue, we charge God with neglect of us. We've forgotten who we really are. When I was in ninth grade, I played baseball in Miami, Florida, my high school. I was one of the only three freshmen who made the team. I was so happy. I was so excited about this. And um, I remember I, I probably was the last guy to make the team, honestly. I, I wasn't sure I was going to make the team. I got on the team. And when I got my jersey, I was so proud of it. I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. And I turned it on the back. It had the number that I wanted. But they ran out of money to buy new uniforms. And so I had to wear a uniform that said Talcott on the back of it. Kevin Talcott played the year before. He got injured, couldn't play. So I was Talcott. I was pretty ticked off. This is my big moment. I finally made the team. You know, you know, we wore the jerseys on game day and I'm walking around and you know, my friends, hey, Talcott, hey, Talcott. I was frustrated with this new identity forced on me by the jersey problem. Well, it didn't really matter too much because the first third of the year, the first six, seven games of the year, I wasn't playing much. I was on the bench, so who cares? But I got onto the starting lineup, and now I got real problems because now my fellow players, when I get up to bat, come on, Talcott. Let's get some wood on the ball, Talcott. And then my coach started calling me Talcott. And for the rest of the season, that's all he call, called me. And I knew things had really reached a new low when in the district championship game, I came up to bat at a very crucial time of the game and I heard my dad going, come on, Talcott. And it was kind of then that I embraced my new identity. I also got on base and scored the winning run. Talcott played well that day. But I started to embrace that identity. I didn't mind being called Talcott. My dad would call me Talcott at the house. Hey, Talcott. Sometimes he still does. Hey, Talcott, how you doing? This is one of our bigger problems spiritually as believers in Jesus Christ. We've been given every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. We've been given everything we need, which includes we are totally different people by the act and work of Jesus Christ himself. And the problem that we have is we don't embrace that new identity. We, we, we don't fully uh, uh, sort of intentionally understand who we are. And therefore, we fail to be who we ought to be because we've forgotten who we are already. This is the problem with identity. We have a new gospel identity, both individually and collectively, which Ephesians is going to spell out for us. We have all of these spiritual blessings. The problem is we don't calculate those blessings. We don't meditate on those blessings. We don't see ourselves for who we actually are, and therefore we fail to live out who we are because we've forgotten who we are. 
So the first piece of your new identity is to realize you have been in Christ. You, in, you, we have in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you would do well. We all would do well as we go through this series to maybe take each week as you get a new piece of that identity is put that on a four by six card, a three by five card, put it on your refrigerator, put it in, a, in your desk at the office, put it next to your computer screen. So after each zoom call, you can remind yourself, this is who I really am. Let's look at the second piece. The second piece of our new identity in verse four, he says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. The second piece of our identity that we need to get a handle on is that we are chosen by God for a purpose. This is what verse 4 is all about. We are chosen by God for a purpose. This is who we are. Verse 4 is very clear. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now think about this. Before you were ever born, before you uh, were on this planet, before the world was even made, God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God set his love on you in eternity past. God chose you. He decided that he was going to involve himself in your life, bring you to himself, and have a deep, intimate relationship with you, not only now, but forever. Now think about that. The God of the universe chooses you before the creation of the world. And boy, that, that's kind of important because the, the rest of the Bible says no human being on their own seeks for God on their own. No one on their own even can understand who God is. God always has to take the initiative to bring someone to himself. He's the one who has to, to open our minds and hearts. He has to convict us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we realize in that whole process, before we trusted Christ, started long time ago, started way before the foundation of the world, God set his love on you. He chose you and, and to be his very now, I don't know about you, but that, 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 I, I'm just flabbergasted by that. I appreciate what uh, Charles Spurgeon said about this doctrine of choosing us before the foundation of the world. He goes, this is what he says. I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. Of course, yes. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. Think about yourself. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. That's what this verse is saying. God didn't look down and say, oh, I'm going to choose this guy. He's going to be a great asset to my team. You were a disaster. God saw you. Yes, he saw that you would be a sinful. He saw that you would be a rebel. He saw that you wouldn't want to submit to him. He saw that you couldn't in yourself even come to him. He chose you before any of that had happened, but knowing full well what you were like, he chose you out of sheer grace. Now that's, uh, that's crazy. I mean, I, I, I look... I'll be honest, I look out at some of you, I, I, can remind, I, some, I can remember some of the faces of the people that are in their living rooms now watching this. God chose you. <laughs> 
wow. But I tell you, the biggest surprise is when I look in the mirror and I say, he chose you too. It's incredible. Now, I think we all know, we've all experienced what it's like not to be chosen. Two years before I was, became Talcott, I tried out for the junior varsity baseball team. I thought I had made the team. I played pretty well, I thought, during tryouts. I had a two-day tryout. I was so excited. I could hardly focus on my coursework in my classwork because at noon they were going to put the results on who was on the team. And I, I was sure I made it. I played well. And I, can't rem- I still remember the shock and horror of going out and my name is not there. I didn't make it. I didn't even make the substitute list. Oh, man, I, I, I was devastated. I spent the next three nights recalling every little part of the triad. I wish I'd have done this better. I wish I could have done this better. I, oh, I wish I'd have done this better. I wish I'd have done better. We all know that experience. The reality is the God of the universe, in spite of who you are, in spite of your sin and rebellion, in spite of all of the mess you make in life, God in eternity past set his love on you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. That's how much him bringing you to himself is all sheer grace. Has nothing to do with what you do and how you perform. It's sheer grace. Now, there's a purpose for this choice. This is also important. He chose us for a purpose. Let's let's look at the the, the second half of verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world... But there was a purpose that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. God didn't just choose you and say, okay, great, you know, come on in, you know, now now you're you're, you're part of my family. No, he chose with a purpose. And what was the purpose? To make you more holy, more blameless in love. And I think the in love better goes with the blameless, holy and blameless. And of course, this is consistent with what we read in Ephesians. If you look down in verse 10, this is consistent with God's plan for the universe. Verse 10 says that Jesus Christ has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan as revealed in the Bible, but in Ephesians, is that he is going to take this broken world and he's going to bring everything back together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And part of that plan involves you and me. Part of that plan involves in his choice of you before the foundation of the world, which is to bring you to himself. But once you have come to him, which was all God's doing, he wants to make you more holy more free from sin, more set apart to God and away from sin, more blameless in love so that you would be more like Jesus Christ. And then eventually when Jesus Christ comes again or you die, he will get you all the way there. It's all part of God's grand plan of redemption. His choice of you was that had a purpose to make you more like Jesus Christ, holy, blameless in love, consistent with what his plan is for the entire universe in verse 10 of chapter one. Now, again, I think this is one of our problems. I'm not sure we embrace this identity. I don't think we really, I mean, we, the, the, the choosing sounds good, but becoming holy and blameless is that in love. Is that your sense of your personal purpose in life at all times? I doubt it. If you're like me, it's not. 
And of course, when you get crossways with what God is trying to do in your life, if, if God has this amazing purpose that started in eternity past and he's trying to make you more like Jesus Christ, he's going to bring you all the way there. When you don't embrace that purpose, you're going against the grain of the entire universe, what God is trying to do. And we know in real life, it's not good when we take things that have a certain purpose and then misuse them for another purpose. My granddad lived to a, he was 102 years old. He's now in, in heaven now. But sometime in his late 40s, he began to produce more earwax than any other human being. In fact, his doctor said, I've never seen a human being produce as much earwax as you do. The problem with my granddad is he wasn't content to go to the doctor and have his ears cleaned. And he wasn't content to use the appropriate utensils to get the earwax. He used all kinds of things contrary to the purpose for which they were made. So we would go into the living room and he'd have a screwdriver in his ear. He's a coke. He had a pencil. He loved paper clips. I mean, it was, it was not a pleasant. Now, not only did it not really do well to get the earwax out, he occasionally would hurt his ear. Scratching his eardrum. I mean, he, he just kept doing this. He did it almost to the day he died. He just would not use the right things for the right purpose. And we do the very same things. Oh, I know my purpose is I've been chosen by God in eternity past. He's trying to make me holy, blameless in love. I'll tell you what some of my purposes are some days when I come home. I remember when I had kids, uh, one of my purposes was I want to have peace and quiet and no stress when I come home. That was my purpose. And you have three kids, that's not happening. And so what happened is I got a different purpose in my head. I had a different goal in my life than what God was trying to do for me. I forgot all about my identity and I began to travel down this stressless evening program and whoever it was that violated the stressless evening purpose of my life, well, they, you know, I was low-level irritable. I felt like I might've been low-level irritable for 18 years. Why? I forgot who I was. I think others of you, you have these little, it's not just big things where you get your mind off the Lord. It's just little things, right? Little bitty things. I confess to you that every once in a while, the love of my sports team becomes my underlying purpose. And if that purpose isn't fulfilled in real time, if I've forgotten who God is and who where my real identity was, I can be quite irritable. And I can be very concerned with justice about referees refereeing a game. You say that's crazy, but you do the same thing, I assume. Instead of embracing the fact that you're chosen for a purpose, you've embraced some other purpose, far less grand, far less godly, far less in keeping with what God is trying to do in the whole world, the whole universe. And you wonder why your life is so frustrating because you're not on board with God's purpose that began before you were born and continues now and ultimately will be fulfilled. So that's the second piece of our new identity. Let's look at the third piece of our identity. Verse five. He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the amazing truth that again, before the creation of the world, not only did he choose us with a purpose, but he also predestined beforehand that we would become part of his family through adoption. God himself says, I am spiritually adopting you. Those of you who trust Jesus Christ realize this was my plan all along for you. That I would adopt you. That I would bring you into my family. That you would have the full privileges as my children. Now, in in, in adoption in the first century, what could often happen is a, a family could adopt someone who wasn't part of their blood family into their family. And when they did that, that person had the full rights, the full privileges, the full position as if as an actual son or daughter by birth. And of course, we know from other parts of the scripture, when we look at Romans 8, it talks about, and we are, he made us to be children of God, but he says, not only children, but then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We know from the scripture that when it says that God adopted us, he puts us into his family. We become an honored and legitimate part of the family, but also we become an heir, which means we will fully experience the fullnesses of our, of our inheritance one day when we meet the Lord in the future, but even now we have full legal and, and, and relational status as being part of the family of God. Now that's quite remarkable, I think. And, and, and Zakari mentioned this earlier. It's, it's the, remember Jesus' baptism when, 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 when the, God the Father in his voice says to his son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's what it means to be adopted. The same love that the father had for his son because we are in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We now share in the same relationship that the, the son has with the father. We now share in the same blessing, the same inheritance, the same uh, uh, love that God has for his son is now given to us because we're in Christ. And you think about that. We're part of the family of God. incredible. We have a future inheritance that's completely secure. We have a loving heavenly father who always cares for us exactly the way he ought to care for. Now, I realize some of you here, I mean, we all grew up in dysfunctional families. I've told my kids and they're all, they're all in the house now. I've done enough things to you. You can go to counseling for the rest of your life. You know, I kind of would pay for it until they were 21 and they're on their own, right? how dysfunctional your family was. I don't want to minimize that. I know that's, that's traumatic and difficult. But the reality is, when you've been put into this new family, which is now your new identity, adopted, where, where God delights in you and adores you in the same way that you adore Jesus Christ because this spiritual blessing and this part of our identity is in Christ from the heavenly places through Christ... We now have this intimate relationship with the most perfect, amazing father of all times. We have an amazing father who loves us, who cares for us. And we're part of a family, which means every other believer in Jesus Christ is all part of the family. Uh, No, no, yeah, that's good. It means we're all related. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Incredible. Well, do you believe that? 
Is that part of your identity? To know that you are adored by God himself? To know he looks at you because this blessing of identity, of adoption has been uh, given to us through Christ, mediated through Christ. When he looks at us, he sees the beauty of Jesus Christ and says, I love you, I adore you. You're my beloved children whom I'm well pleased. Do you sense that? And of course, if we're part of the family, you really can't get out of the family too easily, right? I mean, yes, I thought about sending my two-year-old to boarding school a couple times. But not really. It's my kid. Loved him. Do anything for him. I'll give you an interesting illustration. We'll, we'll be pulled into this further when we get to the corporate identity of Christ. Although it's interesting that the plural form is used here, right? He's, he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He chose us, right? So there's a plurality here. There's a collective sense. It's individual, but it's also collective. Four years ago, we had a very difficult election, if you can't remember that. Not an easy election. Two days after that election, there was a town meeting in Princeton called by the mayor of Princeton. I actually showed up at this thing, about 200 people there. Those of you who know statistics, most of Princeton voted for the Democratic candidate. A very small percentage, probably less than 10% voted for the Republican candidate, maybe 5% voted for uh, some other party, but it was 85% for the Democratic candidate for president. So in that room, two days after the election four years ago, there's a lot of angry people, a lot of people, a lot of angst. What was interesting is a woman from Trinity Counseling spoke, trying to help us process this. And she said this, she, she recounted and said, the day after the election, I had a client come in who told their family that they had voted for the Democratic candidate, Hillary Clinton, and they had been disinvited from the family's Thanksgiving meal. And of course, everyone was like, oh, wow, that's terrible. She said, today, I had a client come in who told their family that they had voted for the Republican candidate, which is Donald Trump, and had also been disinvited from the Thanksgiving family day dinner. And when I heard that, I mean, you just think, how awful is that? That your own flesh and blood, you're going to divide over politics. No matter how right you may think you are. I mean, that's just absurd. It's so sad. And yet the reality is, the unity that we have, because we are all adopted by God into the family of God, by his action... I'll just be honest, I get concerned about us. What's going to happen the day after the election here? Are we going to be living out our identity as the family of God? Are we going to be viewing each other and saying, you've had every spiritual blessing just like me by grace. You were chosen just like I was for no reason in and of yourself, no reason in and of myself. You have a purpose. I have a purpose. You're part of the family. I'm part of the family. And it's not my family. It's God's family. And he put us in here. Are we going to act like a family? Are we going to live out our identity? Or are we going to let something else become our identity? And certainly for these two families, politics is more important than family. 
But there will be all kinds of challenges. It's not, it's not just politics. We are all prone to have something happen to us where we begin to put our hope and dreams in some other identity. And when we do that, we can't be the people we already are because we've lost sight of who we are. So just briefly, as we close, three pieces of our new identity. We've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been chosen by God for a purpose. We have been adopted into God's family. All of this by grace. What do we do? How do we respond to this? Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to give you three just quick items. The first is we need to worship. That's what Paul does here. Look at the ver- verse three. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to acknowledge the greatness and glory of God because of what he's done for me. If this doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. I, I appreciate my, my mentor, one of my mentors, Howard Hendricks, always said, are you excited by the truth? Or are you embalmed by the truth? How can you hear the fact that every spiritual blessing in Christ has been given to you from the throne of God in Christ and it's yours? You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. He's just given to you. How are you not going to be just shocked out of your mind? You're chosen by God for a purpose. How are you not going to be shocked by, 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 by the fact that you were adopted into God's family? And when he looks at you, he adores you because of Christ and says, you are my beloved child. You're in my family. I don't need to worship. I would dare say this ought to humble you to the ground. None of these spiritual blessings have anything to do with your performance. It doesn't matter how badly you live tomorrow. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you forget all about this sermon. You forget about your identity and you live inconsistent with who you are. You still who you still are who you are in Christ. You have a God who chooses you in eternity to pass. He's not going to let go of you now. He's got too much invested in you. Not only did he choose you, he had to die in your place. And the fact that you don't consistently, we don't consistently live out our identity. We're not always acting like who we really are. It doesn't change the fact that we're still who we are. Why? Because these blessings are mediated in Christ because of what Christ did from the heavenly places. It has nothing to do with your performance. It should humble us to the core. But it also ought to give us great boldness. You're chosen by God. You're part of God's family. You're adored by God. In the same way he adores Jesus Christ because we're in Christ. And he's given you every spiritual blessing that you need to function in a broken world. You can handle whatever trials he doesn't take away, whatever difficulties he doesn't take away, whatever unanswered prayer. When you add all of that up with all of the spiritual blessings you have in Christ, the blessings of Christ far outweigh whatever disappointments you have. Because in the end, you're going to have your full inheritance. In the end, you're going to be holy, blameless, and love. In the end, you will have the full, throated, robust experience of the redemption of yourself as God redeems the universe and bringing everything under his authority. Let me pray just briefly. We're going to, um, those of you at home can sing. Those here will listen along and then we're going to sing out the benediction by singing a song that expresses praise in God for these blessings. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Jesus Christ. 
I thank you for what you've done for us in Christ, all these blessings, choosing us for a purpose, adopting us into your family by grace. Lord, I pray that we would think about these identities. I, think, I pray that we would, we would in, in, internalize these more deeply, more consistently, more comprehensively. I pray that this would be the way we view ourselves so that in viewing ourselves for who we really are, we could become who we already are in, in, in real time, a little bit more comprehensively, a little bit more consistently. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.